Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. I hear a lot of babies are made around this time, so it's just a great time to, to, to have this talk and to have this series. And if you miss any of them, I highly encourage you to go online, to go on YouTube and check those out because they are fantastic. But when I was, you know, I started coming, coming to Dayspring when I was about 15 years old. And every year that this series would come around, I really disliked it. And I would always tell Pastor Nestor, like, hey, can we make this series more about, like, love in general, you know? Kind of like, oh, loving your neighbor and, you know, loving your, your parents and your kids. Because I, I was just so uncomfortable. I was like, I feel left out, you know? And, but it wasn't until maybe four years before I got married that I started to take these series seriously. And it was in those four years where I would take notes, I would, I would ask questions, I would meet with pastor, and, and I'd really engage with the content that, that we talk about during these series. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, it has made the difference in my marriage. And so if you're single or if you're like, you know, these don't really apply to me, you know, I don't even think I'm ever going to get married, I, I highly encourage you to not check out. I encourage you to take these principles because actually these principles are so good that they don't just apply to marriages. They actually apply to all of your relationships. So we've been talking about marriage, right? And actually, we've been talking about kind of like the same things for, for, for the past 30, 40 years that our senior pastors planned to Dayspring. And there's two things that we've been driving every time. And the first is that we have to love our spouse. There's no doubt, there's no disagreement in this room, I hope, that we are to love our spouse. But the second thing is that that love is a choice, not a feeling. Love is a choice, not a feeling. And so we drive these points, right? But, but I sometimes remember when we say that a lot, right, as preachers and people who, who are teaching on marriage, like, hey, uh, love is a choice. But sometimes we don't actually go into detail or explain what that means. And so I want to do that for us today. Is that Okay. I want to be able to get into a little bit more detail and also get very practical because I feel like sometimes us as preachers, we talk a lot, but we don't really say anything, you know? <laughs> I used to say when I first started, uh, because my wife and I, we pastored a, a small congregation in Van Nuys, and, and I, sometimes I would tell the congregation, you know, I'd be preaching, and I'm like, man, I'm boring myself. Like, I can only imagine uh, <laughs> the people in, in the crowd. And so I'm going to use the most famous passage in scripture that has to do with love. And and even if you're not a church person or like you're not really uh, into all of this, you will have heard this passage either at a wedding, in the movie, in, 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 uh, in books, on quotes, on social media, because we use it all the time when we talk about love, but I kind of want to go about it a little bit different. And the passage is found in 1 Corinthians 13. But before I talk about, or before I read the passage, I want to give you a little bit of context. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the people of Corinth. And the people of Corinth, most of them during this time, were kind of like relatively new believers. 
And there were some, some Jews there too, but most of them came from a religion from, from the Greek culture, and it was called Greek polytheism. And in this religion that they had before, the gods were not very big on people, on relationships. In fact, most of the time they just used the people. If, if you've kind of been familiar maybe with the movies or if you've read a lot, you know that they were more about uh, sacrifices and rituals. And, and some of the gods even came down to mate with the, with the people. And so this is the, the context that Paul is, is talking to them about. And so Paul... Paul is trying to explain that, listen, even though you've been part of a religion and a worldview where the gods don't really care too much about people, humanity, and even relationships, I want to tell you that Jesus is different. That he actually cares. That you actually have to love other people. Because, and this is huge, this is huge, because how you love people is really the reflection of your devotion to God. It is a reflection of your relationship with God. It's not so much whether you cuss or not, though that's part of it. It's not so much your theology or or even how many times you go to church. And so if you were to judge me, Angel, Angel Juarez, you know, if you were to judge me, you wouldn't do it on the basis of how good of a speaker I am, how well I preach, how much I know of scripture, the Bible. You know, I have a bachelor's in biblical studies. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a licensed four-square minister. I'm getting my master's now. You wouldn't judge me on that because if you do, maybe you'd say, yeah, you know, he's, a, he's like an A minus or so. <laughs> If you really want to judge the kind of person that I am, the type of Christian that I am, the type of relationship that I have with God, you ask my wife. You ask my family. You ask my friends. And this is revolutionary, especially, especially when it comes to marriage. Because Jesus is saying now, hey, 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 listen, your relationships actually matter to God. God actually cares how you treat other people, and he is very much cares about how you treat your spouse. See that sacraments and, 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 and rituals and sacrifices are no longer enough. There is now more to the equation. And you know, when I was studying this, it, it reminded me of a story that, um, that was kind of sad, but very interesting at the same time. So those of us who are very much into uh, theology and, and the fathers of, of the, you know, people who are uh, very devoted to God, one of the most famous names is A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer wrote an incredible book called The Pursuit of Holiness, great man, um, and his theology is amazing, and we read him a lot in school, and a lot of people look up to him, right? What's interesting, though, is that they, they, they asked his wife a question many years later, and she had remarried, and they asked her, hey, uh, kind of, you know, tell us about the dynamic, about your husband, because everyone was so interested in this man. This man was brilliant, wrote so many books, and would think, you would, you would imagine, like, wow, this guy has it good all together with God. And she said something very, very interesting, but, but almost hurtful to us who look up to him. She said, you know, my late husband, A.W. Tozer, loved the Lord. But my current husband loves me. And so 
You cannot separate those two. Because then it's almost like you miss the point. You cannot separate your love for God and your love for other people. They are inseparable. And so that is the context in which Paul is speaking to the people of Corinth. And if you can look there in your outlines and it'll be, show up on the screen, it's 1 Corinthians 13. We'll just go up to verse 7. But powerful, powerful message. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Wow. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. My goodness. And it goes on to explain love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Can I get a name? Man, somebody. You know, in a world where religious knowledge, where hidden knowledge was this huge thing and it gave you status, and for some reason, some people still think that today. Um, Paul is saying, listen, listen, knowledge is not the measure. Love it. It's not what you know anymore. It's how you love. And so though the most important person that you will ever love in your life is Jesus, this love for Jesus can really only be measured by how you love others. And specifically, your spouse. And so, love isn't so much the, the butterflies that we feel, you know, when she's around or, or she touches our hand and we're like, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, come on. It's not so much the feeling that we feel during those moments, but it's the choice that we make. And so what choices specifically? And I want to spend a, a, just a few minutes with you because we really want to get into that special moment that we have planned out today. But I'm just going to talk to you briefly about three choices that we can make in our marriages that will exponentially make our marriages much more fulfilling, happier, and better. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. And so how to choose to love. And you can fill this out in your outlines. And the first one is we choose to believe the best. We choose to believe the best. In that last verse that we read, it says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I want to focus on always trust. See, because in every relationship, every relationship, but I'm specifically talking about marriage, there is a gap between what we expect and what actually happens. 
between what we expect and what we experience. We expect that she won't yell anymore, but we experience that she yells. We expect that he will keep his promise, but we experience that he doesn't. And see, we all have expectations. And see, those expectations are either proved right or wrong by the experiences that we have. And when those two don't correlate, when those two don't connect, when those two are different, there is this gap in which we are placed. And in this gap, we get to make a choice. We get to make a decision. And here it is, here it is. We can either assume the worst or choose to believe the best. When we're in this gap and when we experience that our experiences don't correlate with what our expectations are, we are placed in a position where we have a choice to make and we can either assume the worst or choose to believe the best about our spouse. Every single time that there is a gap, he's late again. You know, she raised her voice. There he goes spending too much time again. There she goes comparing me to my dad. We have a choice. We have a choice. We either believe the best or assume the worst. Let me give you kind of a a brief scenario. And um, if your partner, for the sake of explanation, it's a a guy, has struggled with a minor addiction, you have the expectation that he will no longer engage in this addiction. And one day you find out they're on their way home and they engaged in their addiction. And so you have two choices. You are in this gap. And the first choice is you can assume that he doesn't care about what you say. You can assume that he doesn't value the marriage, that he's given up on himself, or or that he's not even trying, right? Or you can choose to believe that he feels terrible about it, that he's going to try harder, that it's much harder than you think, and that we need to come up with a better plan and, and better steps to address this issue. We can assume the worst, or choose to believe the best. And this is, this is where it's important. Notice, notice that the issue or the problem doesn't change. You know what does? We do. It's not so much that the problem does, is we do. You want a better marriage. You want a new marriage. You want a renewed marriage. You know where it starts? With me with me and maybe you're like you know pastor you don't you don't understand i don't have a choice in my marriage i'm up to the brim we've been dealing this for the past 30 40 years let me tell you plain and simple that we always have a choice that choice can get harder and harder and more difficult and more difficult as, as maybe as this problem progresses, but we will always have a choice. You know why? Because it's about us. We are not choosing how our spouse responds, acts, or what they say. We are choosing how we take it. And so we always have a choice. And listen, you cannot go to a place, you cannot let your marriage get to a place where you no longer believe the best in them because you will hinder the growth of your marriage. Your marriage will not grow anymore if you cannot believe the best about your spouse. Second, is we choose to not keep score. 
We choose to not keep score. In verse 5, it says, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it what? It keeps no records of wrong. You ever been in an argument and your spouse is like, oh, yeah? Well, five years ago, you did this, and I never said anything about it. <laughs> like five years? I don't know what I did yesterday. <laughs> Listen, keeping a record of wrongs does absolutely nothing for the other person. It does nothing for them. In fact, it just fills you up with anger and resentment. And you, you slowly and progressively become the person that you are actually trying to fight against. And listen, it, this doesn't mean that you're okay with everything. Like, I fuck at the Delagana. No, no. <laughs> That's not what this means. It means that you are not trying to catch the other person doing something wrong. It means that you are not building a case against the other person. Yeah, come on, somebody. We need to get a little bit more excited up in here. It means you are not keeping score. See, you know, in a relationship where you get to a point where you don't trust the other person, the other person comes home walking on eggshells. Always on the lookout to see the other person fail. Guys, this is an exhausting way to live life. It's exhausting. And if you're like, I don't know if I'm that person, let me ask, just ask yourself, how often do you check their phone? If you're like, man, am I that person that easy? How often do you check their phone? And see, that's not so much the, the why it's, it's important or the main point. See, this trust allows for something so imperative in our marriages, and that's intimacy. Intimacy. See, intimacy is a fearless reveal. Just fearless. It's not so much sex, even though, yes, it's part of it, but it's not all of it. See, intimacy is to live life without the fear of rejection from the other person. And that's why it's, it's difficult to reach this ultimate level of intimacy that God wants us to reach if we are not married, if we are simply just dating or, or maybe living together because you always have in the back of your mind they could leave at any moment. And so it's difficult for you to completely and fearlessly open yourself up. See, because when you get married, you say, this guy stuck with me. Where's he going to go? Where are you going to go? My wife looks at me and says, where are you going to go? Look at you. <laughs> it's to live without the fear of rejection from other person. Listen, listen. Intimacy is, is instead of saying, I messed up, my wife's going to kill me. Intimacy is, I messed up, I better call my wife. That's intimacy. That's trust. 
And that is the foundation, the choice that we have to make, the decision to say, I trust you with all that I am. Because I made that promise. I promise to trust you. And I get it. I understand that there have been situations, there have been bad decisions that we have made in our relationship that has tainted that trust. We have to do everything possible to not lose it completely. And we have to say, listen, listen, you, you abused my trust. And I get that. But I forgive you. We have to implement steps to avoid this to ever happen. We have to make steps to heal ourselves. We have to, you know, do all of these things. Yet trust has to stay in our marriage. Because it is what, it is trust that opens up for intimacy. And I get it. There's obstacles to this. And the first obstacle, and you can, you know, fill this out, is what we experience. What happens, right? You're like, pastor, I trust them, but look at what they did. (laughs) It's what we experience. She did it again. He did it again. Listen, it's so important. It's so important that when problems do arise, to attack the problem, not the person. So important to attack the problem, the issue, not the person. The person, there is no such thing as I won in marriage. I won this argument. I won this situation. No, no. There's only we win or we both lose. No such thing. And, and Pastor Nestor did an incredible message on how to fight fair. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you all the nuggets, but, but please go online and listen to that. And he did a fantastic job. But the first thing is what we experience. And the second thing is who we are. And you can fill this out in your outline. Uh, one of the barriers to trust and to intimacy is who we are. See, because when we get married, we don't show up as a blank slate, do we? We show up with all of our baggage. We show up with, you know, our daddy issues, our past relationship issues, our traumas. Listen, listen, there is no such, and we've said this before, there's no such thing as a happy couple. There are happy individuals who are married. It is an individual problem. See, many times we think that conflict comes from financial pressures, you know, the way we want to raise our kids, the in-laws, you know, the housework. But the truth is that these are just triggers. They just trigger our baggage, our internal conflicts that we have. They attract conflict. It's just like, you know, skyscrapers when they attract lightning. The source of the conflict of the problem is not the skyscraper. It's the storm in the clouds. And so in other words, the problem that you might think is the problem might not actually be the problem. The problem that you think you guys are facing, financial struggle or, or maybe some type of infidelity, that might not necessarily be the problem. What's, in, what's actually deeper inside of us? See, we have to build the courage to allow God to work in our hearts and transform who we are. 
See, because recently, you know, my wife and I, I'm sorry to keep using my wife, but it's the only person I'm married to, so. <laughs> but my wife and I, recently, um, we, we kind of got into an argument, and, and I was very upset because, you know, she, she, she joined in and, uh, in her family, and then she was making fun of me, and it hurt me, and, and so, and I know, it's silly. And so, and so we thought that this was, well, I thought that this was an issue, right? This was a problem. This is what we need to address. This is what we need to attack. And not that, not that many nights ago, I started talking to her about how, how we grew up. We just started asking questions. And I told her, hey, you know what? When, when I was in elementary school, I got bullied a lot. And in fact, I gave her examples of when I would try to speak up or when I would, you know, try to uh, express who I am and I would get berated. People would bring me down and kids would, would laugh at me. I mean, I even got pushed in the mud for, for crying out loud, you know. And so it was bad. And I told her it got to a point that when I got to middle school and high school, I was so afraid to expose who I am, to show who I am, because I was afraid that people would not accept me and make fun of me. And so even when, when you know, sports came around and, and, you know, you remember kickball and, like, you know, everyone got a turn and you get to kick the ball. I was, I was so afraid when it was my turn. I was like, I'm going to kick it. It's going to go way over there and they're going to make fun of me. You know, and even when, you know, when they would choose you to read, they'd be like, all right, everyone's going to read. We're going to do popcorn. Or, I would dread when they'd call my name. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to sound terrible. I'm going to be all slow. I don't know how to read that well. And believe me, believe me, I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for God's grace, mercy, and amazing love that he has transformed me. Come on, somebody. And so it wasn't so much my wife's, you know, bullying of me although you know we can we can work on that it was something much deeper that I didn't I wasn't even aware of when something upsets you when something triggers you when you kind of get really something gets under your skin ask yourself why why do why does it bug me so much when they do that why does you know why does it bug me when he leaves his shoes everywhere, when he makes that comment, when she looks at me that way? See, we showed up in our marriages, not with a blank slate, but with a lot of baggage. And I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it is not your husband or your wife's job to carry that baggage for you. It has, it has, you have to give it to God. Because he is the only one who can heal you, transform you, and make you into the person who he created you to be. And we see this in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, and I, this is God speaking, I, not your your wife, not your husband, not even the pastor, but God. He says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. It will take out your stony Stubborn, hurt, heart. And give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that so amazing? And so we, many of us have come at this incorrectly. We go into a marriage and we say, hey, you, you made me happy and and you made me feel a certain way. And now I come here with all my stuff and now it is your job to fix all of this stuff for me. 
But see, what's amazing is that we all have access to the creator, to God, to Jesus who died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we can say, listen, God, I have all these problems. I have all these trust issues. I have all these self-esteem issues, but I give them to you. I lay them down at the cross. Gosh, that would, you know how, how that would change how we are, not just in our marriages, but in our jobs, with our parents, with our kids. Come on, she's the only one excited for this. <laughs> That's why it's so important to not keep score. And the third and the last is we choose your spouse. We choose our spouse. We choose your spouse. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.